Welcome to Steam Powered, where I have conversations with women in Steam to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Grace Denner, IT girl and chief orchestrator and founder of Steam Engine Global and IT Rocks. Join us as we speak about Grace's journey to computing, being an IT girl, and building an ecosystem that nurtures and cultivates careers in tech for women. Good morning, Gree. Thank you for joining me today on Steam Part. It's wonderful to have you speaking with me today all about your journey. Good morning and thank you for having yes. me, Michelle. Um, I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity to chat with you because I, I really want to learn more about you too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, you know, this is such a great kind of thing for you because, you know, you have the same sort of ideas about Steam as I do, which is amazing. I love that. But, you know, where did you, you know, how did you get into computation in the 80s, which is, you know, very cool and kind of rare for women? <laughs> um, maybe not as rare as you think, but I grew up in Norway. I was born in the, near the Arctic Circle, you know, where the sun doesn't go down in summer, which um, messes with your, with your mind, I'm sure, and your, <laughs> your, your uh, circadian ball, um, rhythm, I think. Rhythm. But, uh, but, but for us, it's normal, right? So I, I like to talk about, you know, being same, same and normal and, um, uh, and to what we were talking about earlier on, like uh, my entire family is uh, very um, um, loud and, uh, and uh, talk a lot and talk over each other. So that's kind of normal to us as well. So, uh, uh, but um, uh, before I, well, I started school, I went to three different schools when I was um, in year one. Um, which is interesting. I am an extrovert, but I was really, really shy. I'm still shy. Nobody believes me, but I am. Uh, yeah. So being extrovert means that you get energy from people. So I'm always around people, you know, looking to suck up their energy and learn from them uh, on my pathway. But um, so I learned very easily, very early on in my schooling that I needed to kind of fit in a little bit and contribute in a sense but um i landed uh, my third school in in year one we actually landed there and and i lived uh, lived there until i finished primary school and uh, at that school we had a fantastic teacher she was actually the principal of the school and the way it worked in norway from um f for all the um, all of primary school they had the same school class teacher which was really really amazing for me not so amazing for my brother who got a different class teacher <laughs> but uh, she actually allowed us to grow and work together and be part of forming everything so um so i had a couple of friends at school that were also quite sort of um academically smart if, if we could say that i don't know that i'm so streetwise but i am <laughs> i was certainly quite um academically smart then and i also used to look out for people i had this social conscience and so so i did well in maths and science um i also loved languages and that sort of stuff but if you did well in maths and science back in the we're the 70s here um you go for maths and science and i know that's the same i mean a lot of cultures yeah. still today in 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 some of the other countries um, then when I was uh, 13, we moved to a new place to start a high school. And I was in high school for about two months, three months before we moved to Africa. And I lived in Africa, in Botswana, for two years as a 13 to 15 year old. 
which was probably the most amazing experience anybody could ever ask for. Uh, a country where, um, like a, a, a highly functioning African country in those days, 76 to 78, I was there, giving away my age, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it was so amazing to be in a country where education was so highly valued as well. So everybody did their absolute best, even if they had to walk to school for an hour or an hour and a half to get to get there and things. I mean, I was only like 40 minutes walk to school and things. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I joined the science club there. And, I, and there's a reason to, there's a method to my madness here. <laughs> I joined the <laughs> science club there and we built and remember there was no internet. There was nothing that you could Google or anything like that there. And we built from a book, we built a solar cooker from cardboard oh, cool. and alfoil and we demonstrated it at the um, at the village fair the annual village fair and we fried eggs and bacon for the the people there and for that project i actually won a um a, a scientific calculator which i still have Ooh. and it's the first time oh, i've ever won something <laughs> so it's it inspired me to kind of follow that that sort of uh, passion and things and um i guess i got back to norway and it was uh very strange to come to your own country at 15, 15, 16, and you tell people about your experiences and they just blank over in like one minute. They're kind of, whoa. But remember, no internet, no TV, no YouTube, yeah. no videos from Africa, you know, nothing like that. So people had no idea what we were talking about. So it's a kind of a, a strange era to be back in, but it was also that time when we're, you know, you form new friends in high school, uh, which was a totally, totally different, uh, totally mm. different place as well. So, so I continued my, I continued doing maths and science, um, uh, and uh, then it came to uh, choosing. So I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about when I first, you know, in my early years, wanted to be, uh, was thinking about career. I was going to be a teacher because my Mom was a teacher, my father was a teacher, my grandparents were teachers, my aunt was a teacher, and we had this amazing teacher there. Then my favorite auntie came to live with us for a while, and she was uh, she was a um, hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I wanted to be a hairdresser. And I tell that story because I think it's so important for kids when we... Um, when we talk about STEM, it's not just to become a geek or an IT person or a scientist. You actually need STEM and STEAM in every profession, right? Mm-hmm. Then I uh, then I switched because then I wanted to be a carpenter because at this stage, probably about 12, 13, I'd realized that there are certain things that women do and men do. So I wanted to do something that to prove that women can do what men can do. So I wanted to be a carpenter for a little while there. But then when I was in Botswana, my key thing came to um i i really wanted to give back and i wanted to be study medicine and i stuck with that for you know until i finished high school and uh, didn't get um didn't get into university on maths um oh, on the medicine the first attempt so i thought all right what else can i do and so i um i had a look and i realized that it or computation or computer science was actually already then starting to underpin all types of jobs and things. And as we can see now, it's Mm. kind of the essence of all work. So that's when I went, okay, if I do IT or computer science or computation, as it was called then, um, 
uh, then I can actually still help in all these different areas, which I have done. Well, maybe not so much yeah. in hairdressing, hairdressing. <laughs> <laughs> but that. So that's how I ended up doing that. And there was, in those days, fifteen percent girls in my year. And when I got out, there was thirty-five to forty percent women in key roles in IT when I finished work. So I thought we were like at the forefront of this wave. Little did I know that it was going to go like that. Yeah. Hopefully now we're on an upwards trajectory again. Yeah. That was a long story. You know, you can't stop me. (laughs) (laughs) No, and it was a good story because, you know, as you grow up, you're still learning about who you are and, you know, what you want to do. Mm. And, you know, you, you... kind of go for the roles that are presented to you because that's what you see. And, Mm. you know, even if you don't have role models, there are kind of things where you look at and go, hey, that's kind of exotic or that's kind of interesting. Let's let's look more into that and maybe that's what I want to be. Because, you know, you you only think about the things that you'll know about. You know, you you Mm. don't you you wanted to be a teacher because you were surrounded by teachers. And you know, it is about the role models and when I was growing up, I never really thought about that. It was more, this is what I'm good at, or this is what I'm not good at. Yep. Mm. And, you know, thinking about role models was a slightly different thing because the people around you are in these kind of guiding roles, but they're not necessarily going to be the roles that you go for when you grow up. Oh, so, yeah, it, it's it's a journey. <laughs> yep. Yes, it definitely is. But it is. It, 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 it is about role models, but it's also about mm. what you're good at. And I, you know, this might come out of left field, but um, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ikigai, this Japanese um, system of finding out what you're really good at, what the world needs, and then what you can get paid for, right? And in the (laughs) purpose. um, Absolutely. And I'm still trying to find that, but I do use that to help people actually find their path when I'm coaching and mentoring uh, in that field. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's interesting because how – Back then, because, you know, computers weren't exactly, you know, free on the ground. So how did you come to the idea that computational work was something that you had an interest for, that you wanted to explore further? For me, I think it was primarily about the fact that computers would be a part of um of the future, if you like, of solving <laughs> real world problems, right? So mm. um, I could see already then. I mean, I was looking at some of the other aspects as well, so electronics and 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 geoscience and 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 those fields as well. But I kind of went. This one is the most applicable across all fields. I don't know mm. where that uh, uh, where that sense came from. I have no idea yeah. how I came up with that brilliance already then. But uh, but but it was just that. Um, uh i guess that uh you know a knowledge that this could i could actually work in the fields that i was interested in with that sort of thing it was also very much driven by um a few sort of knowledges around women like proving that women can do what men can do but also finding that pathway that there were a couple of women that were prominent like um in that field that I'd heard of in Norway, no, nobody famous or anything like that. But then when I actually started working, I, well, 
my first three years, I was actually the only female programmer in the company I was at in Norway, but I was still working mm. in a global company there. But then I'm, when I moved to, and I was working American or multinational company, Control Data Corporation, working for the company that did the first supercomputer, right? Oh, nice, uh, but yeah. uh, then I moved to Oracle after about three years and I had some absolutely amazing mentors and role models. I didn't realize, though, that they were mentors, right? And I still am in contact with these women. They were only like uh, two, three years ahead of, oh, maybe five years ahead of me, but had that sort of lived experience and were role mm. models. And they were in technical roles and in sales roles and in uh, analyst, analyst roles. You know, back in those days, it was all kind of baked into one. So, uh, so uh, yeah, but I, I just, uh, I just think that it's so important to understand that just because you're in a technical role, um, it doesn't mean that you have to be a pro programmer. You don't just need programming to actually create technology or create uh, tech, um, any sort of scientific invention. You actually need to have that connection with the outside world. Absolutely, and it, it is one of those things where you know you. This is why. A lot of people now talk about how you need to have these other diverse ways of thinking to be able to mm. innovate mm. because you know just because you're looking down this narrow field it doesn't mean that you have the exposure to understand you know what your end users need what your customers need what the people mm. and community mm. need and it's mm. having that broader kind of worldview that gives mm. you a better placement for how you can mm. contribute and how you can improve and you know create things that give back mm. or that provide value mm. yeah and i i think i've been very fortunate fortunate throughout my career in the roles i've had even when i was programming hands-on which is you know now probably over 20 years ago even though i can still write my write good sequel <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, the rest of the world has changed a lot but i was still able to be creative and um, you know uh, i always tell this story about testing software and all that sort of stuff and this becomes very very much a software <laughs> chat then but uh in my first year of working i developed this uh this system that we were training the the it department at the university of oslo in using and yeah. i was training them i'd built it i'd tested it i'd partially designed it and it worked perfectly fine when i was using it it took them <laughs> five minutes to take the whole computer down for an hour yep absolutely <laughs> because they went and and tab back just imagine uh, a world where there's no graphic ui it's all a black yeah. screen with with green Terminal. lines and you yeah. backspace and because we had like circles and things so backspace forward space and lines and things to create these objects on the thing and they tabbed back and forth between them and it crashed the whole system but when i was <laughs> doing it yes it's all good it's all good so i learned very early how important it is to have people with different roles and different perspectives already when you're where when you're in that space but i've you know that that, that was a big wake up call for me in, in my role <laughs> as a programmer that okay it's actually up to me to also make sure that what i do is is accurate and obviously in those days it would take you know 3 4 hours to a, a day to actually compile the whole code set yeah um so uh, i always like to talk about the story uh, um i don't know um if you know about dame uh, stephanie shirley who started a, a a gig economy i think working from home programmers women who were programmers who moms who were programmers and they were That's programming cool. from home back in the 60s 
That's in awesome. The UK. Yeah, so uh, uh, I think she's like 97 now or something like that, or yeah. in her 90s at least. But she actually did that then, and we think we think that you know this uh, not gig economy, but at least this um, uh, working from home is something new. But she actually set it up back then. But they actually had to write up a code by hand. Right, because yep. they didn't have access Absolutely. to the computers, so it was actually programming by hand, <laughs> and that mm. sort of stuff. Little bit, uh, little bit different to know now, but um, about under, I think there was a lot less technical debt in those days, and I do technical debt because it's one of my pet peeves when people have written yep. code and then two weeks later talk to me about technical debt. <laughs> <laughs> so technical debt yeah. for those who don't know means that. The, the program isn't working the way it should <laughs> in a yeah. way or isn't well, written as well as it should have been written and yeah. it can't be extended the way that so I always go well why didn't you write it right in the first place well uh, and I'm so aware that I'm talking to a <laughs> yeah absolutely yes. and it's one of those interesting things like people say you know we have to think about our technical debt and it's like yeah but then we've got you know objectives and timelines and budgets and you know we can always do this post-deployment we can always do this you know we can look after that technical debt after we release it's like you know that's never going to happen like you're, you're totally not going to budget for this <laughs> and then 20 years down the track you sit there with an application that has grown and grown a soft piece of software that's grown and grown organically and grown and <laughs> Yeah, or organically or by need because you have a customer that wants this yeah. and another customer who wants that. and um, and uh, It's just the and, nature um, of the thing, though. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of – and then you get new ways of doing it and you get better ways of doing yeah. things and all that sort of stuff. Now, my pet peeve is just when people say the next sprint, that we've got technical debt from the previous sprint. And I'm going, yeah, but then we manage it. Then you don't take on that much, right? Because when yeah. you're doing agile, you actually are in charge. You should be in charge of how much you, as a team, commit to doing. Yep, and you know it. It, it is odd. Like technical debt at a sprint level is a little bit micro because it's this. That's a very short period of time. It is. It and is. if you're accruing technical debt that quickly, perhaps they you need to kind of backtrack a bit to the design. Oh, I know. But, <laughs> Yeah, anyway. it's just one of those dev things. <laughs> but yeah, no, but um, I guess, um, I don't know, I'm, I, I just had this flash there that uh, I think one of the things that I found, uh, and I have been hiring people in to take teams and, and to try to create that sort of um, more diverse culture, more diversity in the teams, and uh, one of one of the reasons that I do what I do now, which we'll probably get to later, but um, is that I, I was struggling to find women. I was struggling to find people from different cultural backgrounds. Um, I think there's a lot of youngish men with mm. uh, similar sort of developed world mindsets, if I can say that, <laughs> rather than saying yeah. young white men, because it's not necessarily, it's, it's, but yeah. it is a lot of young men and it's very hard for girls to, kind of find their space in it and I had more female colleagues in my early in technical roles in my early years than I have had in my later years when I was actively trying to find women 
but the early years, so my first nine years, I worked in Norway and then I came to Australia. But even the first few years in Australia, I was working for Oracle still. Um, first couple of years in Australia, I was working for Oracle still. And um, and there was quite a lot of, of women, both at headquarters, writing the software and as consultants, um, uh, implementing it out there. So we had, you know, I don't know what the percentages were because it just felt quite even, but it wasn't really, but probably, you know, yeah. um, um, in, in that sort of field, in the, in the work that we were doing, it would have been uh, 25, 30% in the larger companies. And I think that's the case mm-hmm. now as well, but it's the smaller tech companies that don't really have that because they can't necessarily afford it. There is a supply and demand problem, right? Mm-hmm. in tech we don't have yeah. we have uh less than five or oh, according to um the stats apparently there's 15 16 percent girls doing it studies now undergrad um mm. but i've seen stats that say that it's less than five in computer science four percent less than four percent in computer science in australia uh, mm. I haven't been able to find it again, but it feels more like it's sitting at that four five percent than sixteen uh, percent. Mm. But you also have, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, the bleed, if you like, uh, women disappearing from the field because it's just uh, not commensurate with what what um, what they need to be able to achieve in in things. But um, yeah, I think most smaller software companies or tech companies are struggling to to have uh, enough um, or to attract and retain enough women. Um, interestingly, I did an interview with uh, three of my uh, three, three of my fellow um, students from Manchester. They're also Norwegian. Uh, yeah. and we started, so we graduated in 87 and 88. Um, and they've stayed in Norway and all three of them work in large sort of public service companies. And I think this, that this is the case here as well, that there are a lot more women in public service uh, roles than in the sort of hardcore tech or the, the, the commercial technology industry, because they offer some of the things that women are really, really interested in, which is the, um, um uh, which is flexibility and being mm. able so more that than the than the the salary and all that sort of stuff but being able to actually fit in your job with your life outside because you know if we look at the facts even i who i do not have children i still mm. and and i have a partner who is absolutely fantastic and you know, does chores in the house and all that sort of stuff. But it's still me that's across the health and and, and of the animals and him and me and you know those kind mm. of that that connective tissue in the home and in the workplace. Yeah. So so it's um you know um I think that we find a lot more women are attracted to that field. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of yeah. funny that uh, funny story from that interview because my friend said oh. Uh, she said, I think um, the public service pays a bit less. And she said, I, and mm. she said, I think that's, that's why, that's why um, women are attracted to it. And I'm going, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> but what she meant is that they have a lot of other advantages so that in yeah. the public service, they actually only work 37 and a half hours. Right. Mm-hmm. They actually talk to go home. Right. 
they also have the the poss possibility from working from home and all that sort of stuff and a lot more flexibility in that way. So that's what she meant when she said it was because they were earning less. And I'm going, that doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> yeah, so. it's a bit. Yeah, it, it it's fascinating with that because like even going back to uh, the numbers that when you're at university, you know, mm. twenty years for me, it was about yeah. the same. Like that was the percentages were about the same. And even then, like, I don't know how many of those women who were in my cohort are still in the field. And I know certainly my friends who were in STEM fields at the time, most of them have transitioned away into other things for various reasons, mm. like different types of work mm. or, you know, family businesses or, mm. you know, they just had other yep. interests they want to explore. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where we do still think about how it balances our lives and how our occupation will help us fulfill other aspects of who we mm. are. Yeah. And, yep. you know, back, you know, decades, whatever, people would say, yeah, so we don't pursue these careers because we're going to become homemakers or we're going to become parents and we have to consider mm. that division mm -hmm. of our time mm. and how that impacts on developing a professional career. And yeah. things have improved, but it's still that kind of thing that we think about. We still have those considerations that we have to make about other aspects of who we are and what our role is in our lives in all capacities and not just professionally mm. so you know it, it's it's in one way not surprising that we see this attrition in all the fields yeah. for women yeah. moving yeah. away or you know changing or leaking or you know bleeding out of these fields and, you know, it makes sense that you're looking for mm. occupations mm. that are or companies and employers who are a bit more flexible to allow mm. you to be able to do that. Mm. And, you know, more companies are getting better with that. And you see, you know, companies like Netflix and their manifesto that was being promoted quite heavily a while mm. ago about um, unlimited paid leave and flexibility and all of this. And mm. there are issues with that, apparently, statistically. Yes. When you give people unlimited leave, they don't take it. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are lots of factors involved around the way that we handle the idea of leave, the way that we handle the idea of um, personal care time or being sick, which is a big thing that I think comes up a lot because we're not allowed mm. to be sick. It's a taboo. So, you know, it, there's oh, so many factors involved in all of this. Yes, exactly. We're not allowed to, we, we're not allowed to allow ourselves time to recover when we do become sick because we feel obliged to, you know, the economic machine. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's so many things that factor in and, you know, this affects men as well. But for women, for some reason, you know, it seems mm. to impact us more because of the way mm. that we approach things, the way we think about it. And, you know, it's not just biology. Yeah. No, it isn't. But I wonder, like, you know, you were saying, oh, you're not allowed to be sick and things. And I was thinking about this um, video um, that uh, my brother actually sent me and, uh, and said, oh, you've got to watch this. And it, and it was a girl who had ADHD. And she was saying that um, her and her brother were diagnosed about the same time, except they diagnosed her brother straight away because he was acting out, right? Whereas mm. she was excelling and the mom took both of them because she went okay there's similarities there yeah and she took both of them to the doctor the doctor says oh how's she doing at school oh she's doing really well she's 
acing all her subjects, all that sort of stuff, you know, being the good girl and, and then, oh, well, she can't be ADHD then because she's so smart. But her mom insisted and she said, thank you for your opinion. I'd like to see an expert. And she got it. But what this girl was saying, and, and, I, and I'm telling this story not because of ADHD, but because I think women generally do this. So because her brother's symptoms were so much more uh, prominent and Severe. worse oh, and yeah, hers obvious. and a bigger need than her, she subdued her own things. So she put mm. everybody, she put her, um, herself below and her needs for addressing mm. something below. And then her dad got ill with uh, cancer and then she did that again and that sort of stuff. And so she has through loads of therapy, um, uh, actually learned to position her own thing and say like, listen, I can see that you have a higher need than me right now. So let's talk about you, but can we talk about me when you're ready for it. And I think that mm. that's not an ADHD thing, but I think women tend to do that. We tend to go, yeah. oh, my child's ill, my husband's ill, my colleague's ill, my friend's ill, like everybody else around us is ill. So we we just, at least high-performing high women and smart women, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like this, um, you know, this, this cyclical thing that you kind of go, okay, well, I'm not really important enough to put myself above and get the help that I mm. need in this process. Does that yeah. make sense? It does make sense. And, you know, it, it, it's things that I know I do myself because, yeah. you know, if other things are going on, things mm. need to get done. So mm. I can deal with me later. Let's deal with everything mm. else first. And, yeah. you know, it, it, affects you know not just interpersonal relationships not just their health professionally as well because you know other people's needs tend to get put above our own and whether we do that consciously or unconsciously it's not helpful <laughs> no it's not and and i think we're on also often our own worst enemies yeah right because we actually put that on ourselves and then we kind of go okay and that goes through to other things like we were talking about much earlier about you know mm. valuing what we do and and yes. putting ourselves out there so once you're in a position of uh, knowledge and wisdom and where you actually bring a lot of value to people we say oh but other people have needs that are higher than mine or other people are more valuable than me so i think that that mm. although we've segued totally away from steam now into <laughs> no no but this is a part of who we are in steam so perfectly yeah. reasonable and it, it does come down to like you know we we have this need to be able to provide service for others like i, th I think a lot yep. of us tend to be service oriented yep. in any capacity like there's there's yep. a lot of ways you can be service oriented hmm. and at the same time there's also the imposter syndrome and then you know feeling hmm. like the sometimes a default need to kind of diminish our abilities mm. or our capabilities or our, you know, who we are in order to be mm. able to provide function and service mm. elsewhere. Mm. And, you know, it's, I don't know how much of that contributes to the fact that our numbers diminish or that we do have low numbers because mm. a lot of these are very highly technical, very demanding fields that mm. we end up going into have mm. people who also speak a lot louder than we do. So, you know, how much of that contributes to how we perform for ourselves, not for other people? And, you know, how we approach certain mm. problems, technical or 
social or professional and otherwise. Like it, it's all very interesting. <laughs> well, women are often are always held to a different standard than, than men. Yes, I'm not saying mm-hmm. a higher or a lower, but let's say higher um, by men and by women and by society in general. So I mm. have a loud voice, but I'm yeah. a woman, so I'm not supposed to have a loud voice. I've yeah. been I've been sat down by colleagues and said, oh, you can't say that. And I said, but he just said it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know, that sort of stuff. So, And we hold ourselves to a much higher standard as well. We think we have to do things, you know, out of 10 things that you have to do, you have to do at least 12. And men are going, oh, I can do four of those. I'm awesome at it, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But it's, it's just that sort of um, um, being able to position ourselves and understand where we're at. But I wanted to, I, I just learned some horrifying news and this is telling my age even more, but I've already said I'm pretty much so. <laughs> so so uh, I just learned something uh, on Friday um, uh, that in the UK, Last year, 800,000 women left the workforce, not not STEM or STEAM, but left the workforce because of menopause. Oh, gosh. Because it stuffs up your brain, right? Mm. And you've been high performing and you've been like, I'm I'm through it, I think. Most of it anyway, but, but it, it like suddenly you're, you're sitting there in a meeting and you're halfway through a sentence. And I've had a few moments today where I go, oh, where was I going with that? But you're halfway through a sentence and then you have this internal combustion and you're just like hot, hot, hot for like 20 seconds and things like wow. that. And it's so uncomfortable for women, right? Yeah, it's disruptive. Uh, it's totally disruptive. And you've been an expert in your field. You are a specialist. You are a brilliant leader and all that sort of stuff and suddenly you you just can't trust yourself to do what you what you do so well right yeah but that's quite horrendous numbers eight hundred thousand so that's, that's probably like two three hundred thousand in australia if we do it by the numbers yeah that's the workforce in general not just in stem or stem um uh sort that's of thing but but <laughs> Uh, the other thing on being held to a different standard than men is also the um, how we're perceived as leaders, right? Mm. So if a man is inclusive and consults his team and makes sure that they're, uh, you know, that they check in and all that sort of stuff, he's a very inclusive leader. If a woman does the same, what is she showing? She's demonstrating Favoritism. weakness. No, weakness. <laughs> Weakness. Weakness. Yeah. She's not a good, a, a man who's inclusive is a brilliant leader and an inclusive ally. leader. A woman who's inclusive is not, is not confident enough. Mm. Yeah, that, 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 that's, yeah, the consultative thing. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's really, really interesting because yeah. in general, and this is proven by study after study after study that women are better leaders than men when it comes to getting people to do stuff and and to when it comes to people to feel like they belong mm. but uh but yet we're still considered weaker leaders if we do that if we talk loud we're also being too loud <laughs> so it's finding that balance but i do think that we can raise awareness around these kind of things and make sure that we're visible in a positive way as positive role models as um you know hey 
you don't have to be a programmer to be in IT, right? You can be, yeah. you know, a, a crazy rock and roll chick that rides a Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? I, we'll have, there are all different roles available. And there's all yeah. sorts of, yeah, because there are all sorts of different roles available, they're available to all sorts of people. So mm. it's just, you know, how you approach ideas and how you approach problems. And, you know, that's that's why anyone, like, you know, the adage anyone can be a programmer is very, very true. You might be mm. a bad one, but you can still be a programmer because if you can think about things in a different way mm. and you can problem yep. solve, that yep. is the key part of what we do. We solve problems. Yep. But this is why I always talk about, you know, I, I love the the concept of um, uh, 21st century skills or whatever it's called. Now, it might have changed names over the last three years, but but it's just about the creativity, the critical thinking, you know, uh, mm. the collaborative mindsets and all that sort of stuff, which is kind of what I see that STEAM um, encompasses, if you like, you know, bringing that arts Absolutely. and humanities into the, the science, technology, engineering and maths. But if you look at engineering, yeah. for example, it's an extremely creative field. It right? is. It's very, it's... very creative because you have to come up with these fascinating ideas and yeah. interesting ways of solving problems yeah. while understanding physics and society and architecture. It's like, yeah. There's so many different aspects of the work that we do, which isn't purely technical, because if it was purely technical, you can't solve problems. You need to be creative about it as well. Yeah. And, and, and I have a couple of uh, favorite quotes, which I probably tell everywhere, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Einstein, and I, this is me paraphrasing it, but uh, if you go about solving a problem with the same way that uh, an unsolvable problem with the, in the same way that you've always tried to solve it, you're never going to solve it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to think in new different ways. But when I, uh, uh, one of my, uh, the ones that I quote probably more often is the, um, is Akov who said that um, um, we don't often, we don't usually fail because we create the wrong solution we fail because we solve the wrong problem yeah so we don't understand the problem which is why we need these connective skills this you know systems thinking creative thinking but actually the connection Mm -hmm. to humanity and understanding people and you know so everything i do is around design thinking right and and i don't practice i'm not a design thinking (laughs) practitioner by any Mm. means but I think I am by birth. I'm like, I always yeah. question things, you know, so why would we do it that way? But why? Mm-hmm. But why? <laughs> you know, like I turn yeah. into a little three-year-old when when we get to <laughs> get to, to solving a problem because what people come to you with is like, okay, well, I've got this idea for an app grid. Mm-hmm. All right, so what problem is it solving? Well, it needs to have these features. It needs to do this and that, right? Yeah, but what's the problem? <laughs> but what's the problem it's solving? Who's going to be using it? Oh, yeah, but I had this problem. And I said, well, have you have you surveyed? Have you talked to anybody else that has the problem as well? Because mm-hmm. what we do as human beings, and this is, this is um, we all do this, and it actually requires to, you to work on your mindset to... Um, to, uh, to, to, to to counter this. The natural thing we do is, I can solve this problem. Yep. But we don't actually know if we're solving the right problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have a, a, a classic example from a, a large company um, uh, where they had this project that they were solving this um, uh, 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 an annual report or a quarterly report. And and they went about it and they did spend all this time 
fixing up things in this Excel spreadsheet, right? Which was getting feeds from about 20 different systems. Yeah. Right? But because they were looking at just the spreadsheet, they, they never looked at the source systems. They never looked at what they could solve upstream. So yeah. now they've got this schmick-schmack thing. But if the data comes in wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, exactly. so what they should have done there is like take a step back and say, okay, this is, this is the mechanism. This is the engine room for creating it. But before things get into that engine room, something else happens. So what is yeah. what is the problem that we're actually trying to solve here? Are we actually even looking at the right numbers? Mm -hmm. Look, we're going to make it look pretty, but are we actually looking at the right numbers? Have we got the right numbers from from the other systems and that sort of stuff? So that requires a different kind of mindset. That mm -hmm. requires Absolutely. an inquisitive, curious mindset where you go, mm. yeah, but why? You know, be that yeah. annoying, but why, boys? And then. Uh, I waffle on, you know, but it's, it's just, I just think there are so many areas that we need these, um, you know, having different perspectives and, 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 um, and differences in thinking as well. Right. Mm. So, um, or diversity in thinking, I guess. Um, and, uh, uh, we spoke about it a little bit earlier about that whole thing around, you know, is diversity what you see? Or is it inside? Yeah. Because I remember somebody said to me once, they said, well, just because there's five white 25-year-old men doesn't mean that they're not diverse. And I went, hey, come on. And I went, oh, hang on. And, yeah. and it just so happened that that particular, the, the particular group that they were talking about, they were actually quite diverse. They've had very, very different backgrounds and upbringings, but they're both, they're, they're all, um, I don't think there was five, I think it was four or something, but they were all, um, you know, one had grown up in very, very um, horrible childhood. You know, one had a disability, one had, you know, um, lived overseas. And, and it was like kind of, they were actually really diverse in the ways because they brought differences in there. So sometimes it's, um, you know, we, we I think that by having diversity that shows on the outside, mm. uh, we actually put, a, uh, we actually... Um, you're also gating it. Yeah, yeah, but you actually, what does that mean? As in, like, you're putting boundaries on what you define diversity as. Yeah, but you're also raising awareness around diversity so people go, oh, hang on, I can see it. Exactly. Uh, as a middle-aged, or maybe <laughs> more than middle-aged white woman, when I look at stock photos, I don't find anybody who looks like me. Yeah. Right? That's because... Right. You know, and then I did a little search. So I thought, okay, how many people in the world are blonde? It's a very small percentage. <laughs> how many people in the world have blue eyes? Oh, it's like 4%. Very interesting <laughs> things about perception and stereotype. Yeah, so because I've grown up in countries where a lot of people, well, not always, but I was born in a country where a lot of people kind of, are like me, at least 30%. Uh, mm. Well, when I grew up, probably at 30%. Now we've had a lot of, uh, of uh, migrants to Norway. It's, we've got a lot more uh, diversity in, in looks as well. But, uh, mm. you know, and then when I'm here in Australia, I'm probably not, I'm definitely not majority. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. I, you used the term exotic earlier on about, uh, uh, about looking uh, about different fields of study and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And I, 
uh, I remember, so to me, exotic means meant somebody from West Indies or Far East and that sort of stuff. And I remember somebody said to me in my first, you know, few weeks in Australia, I said, oh, you're so exotic looking. And I'm going, no, you got it totally wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know That's the meaning fascinating. of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's about the right. It's the same thing like um, with how the word Asian is used. So here, mm. Asian tends to be, you know, East Asian. In yep. the UK, it tends to be South Asian. Indians and, you know, it, yeah. it's yeah, it, it's very interesting, and you know the way that we consider all of these terms and how we use them mm. because mm. of the environment that we're in. And yeah. yeah, exotic is whatever is not normal or what's common for you in whatever <laughs> capacity, and it, yeah. it's it's an interesting way of perceiving the world. <laughs> Yeah, but and and I I know some um so Europe um is it South or South South Asian Southeast Asia uh, East Asia <laughs> yeah Southeast Asia yeah. background right uh, but mm. you grew up here so you're Aussie so when people hear you they probably yep. assume that you're an Aussie uh, like a white Aussie right when they just if they um, just hear your voice the funny right? thing is is that um. <laughs> I used to do call center as a lot of tech people do yep. their time there. Um, <laughs> on the phone, people would assume that I was English or Irish. It was very odd. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then they, you know, see the name or they hear the names like, hmm, okay, that's not where I kind of imagine that. And similarly, mm -hmm. my sister, she used to be assumed to not be Asian until yep. you know, they see the name they and suddenly like the perceptions change once they see that yep. your name is yep. not western the behavior and response changes slightly and mm. it's not necessarily negative it's just different it just changes so yeah 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 and i guess i have the reverse of that to a certain extent because people like i look like a white aussie well i'm a little bit taller but i could pass for one right yeah <laughs> but as soon as you open your mouth <laughs> I could pass for an Anglo-Celtic person, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but then I open my mouth and I am very direct and, uh, you know, quite loud. And, you know, I have my mind goes in a million different ways with my little orthogonal mindset and things like that. And yep. people just go, whoa, what the <laughs> <hell is?"> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of that... Um, because uh, I've spoken with somebody else in a similar situation to you, grew up here, but had a mm -hmm. Southeast Asian background. And, and you know, until they see that, oh, oh, she doesn't even have an uh, Asian sounding name, right? So mm -hmm. it's not, it's only when they, um, when they see her, they go, oh, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. They expect something different with them um, until I open my mouth and I act like uh, a little bit too direct and things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's also an interesting cross-culturally as well, because I did a Japanese intensive language course in Japan. Oh, yeah. So there were a couple of other women there from Australia. None yeah. of us were white Australian. And mm -hmm. the three of us were considered far too mouthy, were far too direct and very opinionated. And it rubbed them up the wrong way. Um, because they're, they're we... Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it we did not present the way that they expected because we were far too outspoken. 
But do you think that would have been more acceptable if you had been white Australian? That they would have so. accepted I think it. If we, yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. Because I think mm. if we didn't present Asian, they would have assumed, like, if, if you're not, if you're a white Aussie, they assume, oh, you're probably going to be, you know, a bit more outspoken, a bit more direct. <laughs> but because we were Asians, like, hmm, okay, this is unexpected okay. and they have to recalibrate. <laughs> but Japanese are also a lot more covert than for example, yes. Malaysians and Singaporeans, right? The, uh, in yeah. my experience, having worked quite a lot with both Malaysians and Singaporeans, I've kind of gone, oh, that's direct. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on even exactly. on personal things and you go, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's different. So, and, and that's another thing that contributes, right? Like you, you have this cultural diversity or this exposure to cultural diversity in order to be able to understand how people approach things differently. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter what you look like. It's about your environmental background and yeah. your experiences. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I um, Because I, and I don't want to talk about that now, but I started this online community um, for women in, in IT. Or, um, and, and what I've found is that it's usually women that, are from a different or from a culturally different background that are drawn towards me and and that community who might mm. be living in Australia might be living in a different country but they have a different uh, not the stock standard sort of um, way so so um, which I thought was interesting even with people who live here as well who've grown up either first or like migrants now or first generation that have a different cultural background than the sort of typical white Australian. But uh, uh, I had this interesting question from somebody that said, uh, and it's said, oh, that's interesting. Said, Have you considered doing cultural awareness training? And I'm going, uh, why? <laughs> well, you know, to deal with people from different cultural backgrounds. And I'm going, you know that I'm Norwegian, right? And that I've worked on all continents except Antarctica. And that's on my bucket list. And you know that I lived yep. in Africa as a teenager. And this person didn't know that, to be fair, right? Sort of thing. And yep. I was kind of like, and I, but I turned around and I said, in actual fact, the the people that find me the most that that probably have the biggest challenge with the way that I communicate is uh, are white Australians. Yeah. So um, it, it was just interesting, like. Uh, and, and and I find it hard to juggle. I just don't know how quite to 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 deal with that. But uh, I've never I've worked loads in India, in China, not in China, but in uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Africa, South America, uh, all over Europe, and um, the U.S., Canada, and mm. uh, and here and New Zealand. Uh, yeah. So. I, I sort of think it's funny, but I, I think that we are drawn to people who have had similar experiences, right? Who have yeah. had, uh, you know, um, whether that be adverse or positive or whatever, but just mm. to uplift and support each other in a way. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Know. And, yeah, it is an interesting thing, but it's also like your, as we've spoken again briefly earlier, but your privilege with your diversity of exposure yeah. growing up, mm. it also can hmm. how to express this it's 
it can make you think about things in a different way mm. that you can take for granted. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, because as far as you know, everything's culturally diverse. You've had experience cultural diversity. Yeah. So when people approach you who haven't had that cultural diversity, it's, yeah, again, a change in mindset. It's like, right, so how do I do things if I have never had my experiences? It's an interesting way of looking at it. It's really interesting, and I think you know because I always say like I am so aware of my pri- privilege as a white, uh, a white woman or white person, who has grown up in a, a country who was born in and grew up the first you know thirteen or so years in a country um, that is quite um, equitable and equal <laughs> in mm. in a lot of different ways, um, and in an area of the world that is. But then I'm also so privileged to have had this opportunity to live in Botswana as a teenager, to travel a little bit in Africa as a teenager, to study in the UK, to travel all over Europe like 10 times on low budget while I was studying in my yeah. first years, to have been um, to all, all continents and met people everywhere, to be curious. I'm so privileged mm. that I'm so curious, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 that that I love people. I'm so privileged mm-hmm. that people energize me because I learn so much from it. You know, so you can Absolutely. start looking at your privilege from a lot of different perspectives. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really <laughs> insightful, Michelle. Oh, you thank always you. learn. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's yeah, it's another one of things. I had a conversation recently where um, I was talking about remote working and. Yeah apparently someone had I can't remember who it was they said um they were saying that they don't think that remote working encourages diversity and um I guess cultural awareness or this exposure to you know other people and other environments but that experience is completely contrary to mine because I've remote worked since oh. 2008 and mm-hmm. for you know in for groups and with teams in different countries and I've had more cultural diversity in my co-workers doing that than I have working locally on site in an office and uh, it's because you know the people when you work locally in Perth you know you you get Asians you get Western uh, Australian Westerners and you know you get a few other things but you know it's still fairly for me normal in quotes, yeah. because that's the environment that I grew up in. That's a familiar kind of blend mm-hmm. that I have exposure to. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, working for, you know, telecommute and occasionally doing international trips, you know, I work with people from South America. I work with people from mm-hmm. um, Poland and, you know, mm-hmm. Canada and New Zealand. And, you know, it's from all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet people from all sorts of backgrounds and mm-hmm. talk to them. And it's not just isolated to our professional relationship we got to know each other a little bit about who we are Mm. our backgrounds and things like that and Mm. you know for me that gives me a broader worldview about where people come from and their work environments Mm. and their back um like their professional and uh, personal um context Mm. so you know i i found that interesting that people think that remote work is more limiting in that way because you know yeah, I, you don't I, have yeah, to physically totally be you. there to be culturally diverse. <laughs> it, it was really, really interesting to me when uh, COVID hit, and and it wasn't the last three years have been an interesting journey for me. 
um, I finished off my last sort of employment in uh, at the end of 2019 and uh, had serious um, uh, RSI. So I took a break for a while and yeah. then um, I sort of decided to go ahead with my dream, which uh, I, um, I was already talking about back in my in my TEDx talk as well, right? Yeah. Um, uh, which was steam engine global, you know, let's get on that train and let's uh, change the world. So I started, I registered my mm-hmm. um, uh, company back in on the 18th of February, 2020. Wonderful. And had, uh, you know, uh, I was talking with large companies. I was talking with education. I was talking with all these people that I was involved with, but I had also worked for, you know, as my entire career, I've worked in global teams. Mm. Yeah. Wherever I've lived, the teams have been global. So I've been used to working online long time before Skype even happened, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) So so when COVID happened, first of all, like I had applied for a grant to do a a remote program, you know, Um, didn't get the grant, wasn't successful in that grant. I've since realized that you probably aren't best off applying for grants if you're a total startup by yourself yeah <laughs> you <Fair. probably> need <laughs> others involved with that and and, yeah. and get on the bandwagon with somebody else and, and get the funding mm-hmm. through that but um but everybody disappeared like even from the large tech companies like everybody went into this sort of flux right and and i'm going where did everybody go like okay so mm-hmm. i'm sitting at home working by myself but everybody just disappeared and you know i i had to sort of rethink and 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 start working with some of these other things and i ended up doing my my little steampunk adventures you know for schools and and that sort of yep. stuff which are which is a configurable or program that can be tailored for you know any duration and things sometimes i go out and i do around your world in 80 80 minutes, you know, and that sort yeah. of stuff. But, but uh, you know, it, it was so weird to me that, you know, for somebody who's like been in larger companies and always worked with people in different locations and places and all that sort of stuff, and then to suddenly find that you're sitting by yourself in your office across the hall from your bedroom. <laughs> and at least I'm in an office. I'm not in my bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and then... Like and and every like I was total panic and I was going, where did you all go to? What's going on? <laughs> you know, because to me it was normal. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a very strange uh, experience for a total extrovert. And uh, actually, uh, I le- I learned quite quickly that I needed to ha- schedule at least three or four calls mm-hmm. a week just to touch base with Keep even the contact, if they were yeah. friends you know <laughs> you know yeah. but mostly in relation to sort of work and business development because I was trying to set up a new business yeah there's really unprecedented times <laughs> absolutely so tell me about steam engine global and you know what your thoughts were behind starting that it, it sort of start uh, so after I guess working in tech for um over 30 years at that stage and trying to recruit people. I was kind of going, okay, so where I've been sitting in the tech space for the last, you know, the last 20 odd years is really in that sort of space of, you know, team alignment, streamline for innovation, make sure you have the teams have what they need, creating that right mix of uh, people, technology systems and culture so that you can attract and retain people. Um, so, uh, So that was kind of my 
I guess bread and butter both as a contractor, a consultant, and in the workplace as an employee mm-hmm. and and as a tech startup founder. Yeah, like in everything I did, like so that was kind of where I was sitting. And then I was going, I can't get the people. There aren't any women. What can I do about it? And at the same time, yeah. I'd sort of embarked on a, a PhD or a professional doctorate, which I have parked. I don't know if academic research is my is my um, forte right now. Maybe one day, yeah. when I, <laughs> if I retire, I might pick it up again. But I was looking into diversity and inclusion in IT, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically why uh, a negligible percentage of girls, 15-year-old girls in Australia, are interested in IT-related careers. That's kind of where I ended. I started out mm-hmm. by looking at uh, if uh, diverse teams create better products. Yeah. And then I'm kind of going, but hang on, we can't, we don't have diverse teams because we don't have a supply of people. Yep. So that's why I ended up with that. And that was in the OECD, in the PISA report from the OECD for 2018. So it's only right. it's only one percent globally of girls that are interested, fifteen-year-old girls that are interested in IT-related careers, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of different um, uh, aspects to it. Uh, but what I sort of ended up with through that research, so I did quite a lot of research, but I'm just going, I, I was way too broad because I went, oh, it's all these different things that we need to pull together exactly. and so mesh many together. factors involved. <laughs> and then and then in academic research, it's like. Okay, let's go into the minutia. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, but what about all these other things that we need to pull into that little thing? (laughs) Exactly. But but what I uh, ended up with, uh, where I narrowed it down to, was it's it's around identity and belonging, Mm -hmm. right? And it's uh, and and that we all have individual experiences of what belonging and oppression and discrimination means so intersectionality right yeah so i was going to base that research uh, uh, um, around the in- intersectionality theory and things but i've i've kind of just gone oh, God. <laughs> but the good thing is that i'm using all of that stuff in what i'm doing in steampunk adventure uh, steampunk adventures sorry in steam engine global so i've got multiple i've got sort of three pillars one is to develop and um uh, empower new talent then I've got mm-hmm. the sort of attract and retain talent and then the streamline for innovation so I've got such a narrow window here I'm used to using much bigger space I have to go yeah. with the camera <laughs> yep <laughs> um, but, uh, so I started at rather than starting where you know where my superpower in the tech industry was over on the streamline for innovation I went hang on mm-hmm. we need to get more talent so that's when I started developing this uh, youth engagement program which is what I'd applied for um uh, for funding for, um, yeah. but, but also then from that uh, with the um, uh, National Science Week in 2020, I I just launched like a steampunk adventure, which was the same thing, but just like um, uh, as an online program to see if there was any interest. And it's design thinking based. It's really just about learning the skills, the the human skills around creating technology, but you can still create technology. You can still set up a website and all that sort of stuff. But it's really about that. All the process you have to go through before you even get ready to take, develop technology. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, so I love doing that. I'm actually going out to the It, it Takes a Spark conference uh, on Wednesday nice. to, to do to around, around your world in 80 minutes. But ideally, that program is set up so that I can support teachers who, mm-hmm. and STEM and STEAM teachers and ICT teachers, um 
you know, through a subscription or whatever, so that it actually then maps to where they are in the curriculum for the year group that they're in. Uh, and then give them the mentoring that they need uh, or that they might want or might need in that process so that you actually do it across schools, not just within your school, because there's a lot of teachers there. I haven't found uh, the right thing and I haven't really been working on the la- on that the last um, this past year because mm-hmm. I've been focusing more on the diversity, inclusion and belonging and dib audits. And so so I've, I've, I've I'm calling dibs on belonging dib. Uh, <laughs> so so um so that's kind of the, the the central pillar i think and that's where you start creating inclusive cultures uh so that mm-hmm. you can attract and retain that talent um and that actually now i've just um uh set up a separate tech company to develop technology for measuring diversity inclusion and belonging so te- develop a platform ah, amazing for that yeah um so really excited about that but that needs to be outside i'll still be doing consulting in that field and then mm-hmm. just as we're speaking now i'm uh working with a few organizations to um in, in a more b2b sense to help uh help organizations scale or actually get that communication between uh business and it teams working better or um or non-tech founders that are want to mm-hmm. be in the tech space absolutely and then obviously also under the whole um under the uh, uh, build or develop and empower new talent. I also have my uh, my global uh, online community, It Girls Rock, which is mm-hmm. part of my sort of sub-brand Women Innovating Technology because I really, yeah. really, really want to encourage more women in to start inventing and creating technology, right? Absolutely. So, uh, because we have so much to give and we have so many problems, real world problems that need to get solved and we need to give input into that. So that's kind of my, and that's a, on a sep, that's on a separate platform. It's a sort of low entry um, group mentoring courses, conversations, collaborations, coaching type thing. Yeah. Called itgirlsrock.global. So yes. that's, uh, that's kind of those, those pillars. I do tend to, I do tend to lean over to the over to the one that's kind of about building new talent and things because I love that space. I love working yes. with people. Uh, you know, seeing the lights go on when people go, "Oh, I can do this!" Right? Yeah. So, uh, so, but but I think uh, I'm I'm really quite excited about the the more sort of um, the more B two B side of things, like stepping back into my into my my um, innovation and technology space uh, again and developing the technology. Yeah. Don't tell everybody that I'm doing so many things because people say, focus, focus, but that's not my, my brain's like that. My brain's like yeah. that. <laughs> and that's entirely reasonable because, you know, the problems that you're trying to address are about the entire pipeline, right? And I know the pipeline is thrown, yeah. thrown about a lot, but it is about, you know, you're, you're trying to nurture and encourage mm development at an early age because you want to get them when they're thinking about their careers and who they are and what they want to do and what they want to be and trying to motivate them into finding a purpose so you know you start them young and then you want to be able to cultivate them you want them to be able to grow in that space so it's a very holistic way of trying to approach a career a little bit much for one person maybe maybe (laughs) but this is why you've got separate streams right like it's, it's different focuses because, you know, you're still, you know, it is very broad. I mean, yes, you have lots going on, heaps. But, but it's, it's still all going towards to... my North Star. I'm happy. 
I'm happy. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And it's having that North Star and understanding that this is where you want to go. Your problem is that you couldn't find people in this space. And mm. so now this is you trying to make sure that you do have people in this space. Yeah. Not for just for yeah. yourself, but for everywhere else. Because yeah. yeah, we we need to be able to you know, you need to be able to help people find their mm. reason for being mm. find yep. what their north star is and how else mm. are you going to do that other than by mm. nurturing and growing and guiding and that's yep. you know entirely what steam engine global does not just for yep. the people who are going to be entering the workforce but for the companies who are going to be hiring real. them as well yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Well, it's a pipeline it's and i i would have liked to be at a space where i had a team now but i'm not quite there yet but you know we'll get there yeah we'll get there <laughs> And that's fine we'll because it's there. you know it's it's all about everyone's journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, we might wrap up with some of those soft questions that I like to ask mm -hmm. all of my guests at the end of our conversations, mm -hmm. just to get a little bit more context about who you are. So, what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work? I guess uh, travel is my big passion. You know. Mm -hmm. um, hasn't been an awful lot of it lately <laughs> but um uh, so i don't i don't do an awful lot of um i don't really i don't knit i know how to knit <laughs> <laughs> i don't do paper mash i don't do origami but i do love to take my uh, dog for long walks on the beach and that's yeah. kind of my sanctuary that's kind of, and that's very far i don't even take my well, I sometimes take my phone just because I like to take photos. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just try to, that's kind of away from, uh, uh, away from, um, from all things, all things it or digital, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we do need that kind of space to get perspective and just to take a step back mm. from, you know, what we're so focused on. Mm. It's, yeah, it, it can be challenging, especially, you know, the last few years when everyone has been stuck and the only way we can get connection is via digital means. So, yeah, mm. being able to have the opportunity to take a step back is great. Mm. And I, I think another one that I'd like to do, which I haven't done yet, is that I think I'd be a great stand-up comedian. Ooh. <laughs> do some improv. <laughs> take I some will. improv classes. That's kind of my, my thing. Improv. That's my next thing. I need to. I need to do something. And I used to play football, but I. I was the oldest playing nice. member of. A, as in soccer. Soccer. You call yes, it of soccer. course, round ball. <laughs> the world game, I call it. But yes. uh, I had to give that up through injury when I was uh, fifty-three. But I was the oldest playing. Oldest playing uh, member, so I'm happy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I used to love soccer. There just wasn't enough. I did it at school in high school and in primary school. And it wasn't one of the extracurricular kind of sports that they offered for local uh, for the school teams. So I had to mm. give that up, and that was very unfortunate. It's such a apparently, it team, yeah. yeah, team sports are just so important for how we develop for work and life, right? Yeah, it is. So, so, so I often use the analogy with football and positions on the pitch and all that sort of stuff to to explain how we work together as teams, but have different skills and yes. different perspectives, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I did like those sports. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it, it gives you a lot of understanding about trying to work with other people. And yeah. I think, you know, having school projects and university projects when you are working those assignments, like it's, 
it's an environment where you do need to learn to work with a bunch of different people who have different priorities and different roles and you know sports is a great analogy for that it's it's a perfect analogy I just often think about that, you know, um, in football or, and I'm sure it's the same in AFL and all, all the different codes and handball and things. So, yeah. um, and I've only played social, right? So <laughs> in social, you get all sorts, right? So, yes. Uh, but one of the things that you do to, when somebody gets the ball, you need to get yourself into a position where they can see where you're going to. Yep. And as the, the person with the ball, you need to kick it to where your, 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 uh, your uh, teammate isn't where they're going not where they are right yeah and that's kind of really analogous with with uh, working on a team a multidiscipline mm-hmm. team and finding out you know where is that person going and how can i get the the ball or the next thing to them at the right time you know yeah it is anyway, i can go i've thought it's about a great this metaphor. A <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair it's a great metaphor and it totally works and yeah it is one of those things where a lot of uh People were saying that, you know, tech people don't do these sorts of things. They don't play sports. Yeah. They're not active. But, you know, they are. And it's yeah, another one of absolutely. those things that it gives us this kind of perspective. So it's great. And, 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 you know, when I do my steampunk, oh, sorry, I'm going back to that. When I do yeah, my steampunk fine. adventures, I bring mentors with me. I mm-hmm. bring role models. So my, my partner is a goalkeeping coach. So he's oh, coming nice. to my steampunk. So STEM stuff. I've had a, a, a young Matilda's player. I've had... A social worker i've had a youth worker I, I don't bring people who are programmers necessarily i do bring some of them as well but i bring anybody yeah. who, and then we talk about how stem and steam is present in their lives sorry exactly i thought i'd no. drop that one into no, no, no. <laughs> this this is exactly right because it's the whole point about steam right yeah. like it's yeah. all about the different aspects it's not just about the creativity it's about your experiences yeah. and yeah. how else steam impacts your life and how you impact steam like it's a very symbiotic relationship yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah and which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you pippi long stockings hands down (laughs) she's my superhero (laughs) yeah she's amazing like it's such a wonderful story and it's been such a long time since i read it but yeah pippi long stockings amazing uh it's just amazing the story behind it as well because uh um, you know, uh, when she when Astrid Lindgren wrote it, she she wanted to write something that about somebody who didn't really care too much about rules and things like that. And it was her daughter that named her. But um, when I grew up, there was a TV series, a Swedish TV series. Mm-hmm. So we actually we had three channels. We had one Norwegian channel and two Swedish channels. So we actually got to see the Swedish channel in black and white. Long stocking. Um, nice. Uh, and she's the actress is just a year older than me, so it was just oh, very cool. timely, right? So, so yeah, perfect. You know, so that that's my superhero. <laughs> yeah, that's a good superhero. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And lastly, what advice would you give someone who would like to get into what you do, and what advice should they ignore? Ignore any advice that says that you're not good enough. Hands down, <laughs> you yep. know. Anybody who says that you can't do it uh, because of who you are or whatever, just do it. Um, realize, my, the advice would be that realize that technology and IT and uh, STEM, STEAM in general um, is extremely diverse. We need people of all sorts. And um, there are so many different kinds of roles. And I just did like a, a I did a, 
unpacking and exploring, you know, creating IT yesterday. And it's, you know, the trends now are not, it's not the software engineers that are highly sought no. after, it's business analysts and the, mm -hmm. and the change managers, project managers, and that sort yes. of stuff as well. Subject matter experts, you know, you, um, you know, if you're a nurse and you have an idea, why don't you like sort of join a community with women who want to use technology to solve solve um, uh, pervasive problems? You know, so yeah, precisely. Find be strategic about your networking. Be strategic about who you talk to about it. Also, realize that uh, like if you're looking to develop your own technology, that um, an idea is only an idea until you've done something about it. And exactly. it's very likely that somebody else has the same idea. So it's not necessarily that they've stolen it. It's yeah. just that uh, 100 monkeys theory, you know, where where the same idea occurs in two totally different areas that you can't even reach by ocean or plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's about your own perspective and spin on it as well, because you yeah. might have the, both the same overarching idea, but your specific yeah idea of yeah. how you want to execute it's going to be different and that's where your secret that's, source, that's the important part right? yeah yeah exactly yeah, that's your secret and, source um, yeah exactly and uh, <laughs> but be strategic about who, who you who you network with and, and and who you reach out and just you are technical enough i'm saying this at least specifically to women just know that you are technical enough right you don't have to know everything you can always find it out there is google <laughs> I should be like a walking ad for Google. I use Google for everything. The people. Go, so what do you what do you uh, what do you follow to stay on top of you know tech trends and things like that? I just Google it if I yeah. hear something, and then I go into these wormholes, and I hope that I'm going to come out in a parallel universe. But it doesn't always happen. Usually not. But at least I learn a lot on the on the way through it. This is exactly. why I sit at my computer all the time, really. Yeah, precisely. But yeah, it's just one of those things where you don't. Yeah, you don't have to know everything about what you're trying to do because there are other people for that. You can find people yeah, who yeah. can fill the gaps. So, you know, you don't have to be a one-man band. Yeah. But but I, I do think, like, specifically women who aren't in the tech and haven't done tech before, you know, make sure, just contact me if you have an idea for technology and people are telling you Shop it's going to cost around. you thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of... Just, find out what you need to do for your minimum valuable product, right? Mm -hmm. You might not even need to develop technology. I'm not saying that everybody wants to be become a, their, create their own technology. You can help others. You can get involved with another team. You can mm -hmm. set up different groups, you know, find a co-founder of sorts, you know, but don't let people uh, take you for a ride. Just check in with somebody, check in with It Girls Rock. I will answer your question. <laughs> Honestly, because I just... The number of people I've seen that have um, spent thousands, hundreds of thousands, even a million dollars on getting something developed that's not solving the problem. And it's mm -hmm. not doing what they asked for it to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so um, getting that sort of, you know, doing that business development, that, that initial sort of, okay, what is it that, you know, your why, your who, your what, your when and your how – yeah. Up front, up front, you know. Yeah, exactly. You need to do uh, your systems analysis and biz dev up front first because, yeah. you know, having an idea of how you want to implement it isn't exactly going to solve your problem. And no. you need to find people. Like if you're finding people to help you build your product, mm -hmm. they need to be able to help you with the biz dev. Like you can't yeah. just get someone who will blindly code exactly or develop exactly what you're asking for. 
because mm. you know unless you're very specific unless you are very knowledgeable about knowledgeable about the domain that you're trying to build for you know mm. you you still need to workshop things and you need to work with people who can yeah. help you do that yeah and and um yeah it's just I don't think anybody tricks people into, well, no. some people probably do, but generally it's genuine mistakes. It's actually wanting to help you, but yeah. not having the tools. They don't know what they don't know as well. So they're exactly. kind of coming at it sort of semi-blind and, and you know, mm -hmm. it'll be you forking out the money. So, um, exactly. you know, just, just there's some pre-work that you need to do, some preparation that you need to do to kind of get, um, so that you can talk to people who can do it for you and you know you mm -hmm. might not need to do coding yep for your exactly. first for your first uh, cut thing absolutely it's good tell developers oh hang on i'm talking to a developer <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, it's all very practical because i know what isn't in my wheelhouse i know that i may not be the person to provide the solution someone needs and you know it's you know finding good people who can tell you you know, what you need and what you don't need and whether they can help you accurately yeah. and not just try to solve your problem without the right yeah. kind of tools. Like that's the important thing. It's yeah. how you, know, you get successful businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, cool. I, I'm good at uh, talking the talk, not always walking the talk for my own business, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think that's normal for everybody. <laughs> I can't see the forest for the trees. <laughs> that's right no i can see all the trees <laughs> yeah you can see all the trees that's you the problem the <laughs> exactly okay well thank you so much for speaking with me today right. great it has been absolutely amazing speaking with you all about this very broad you know topic of steam and how culture and you know our environment yeah. and ourselves how we impact you know our careers and our lives and others so yeah. if people would like to know more about what you do where can they go they can go to my website. Oh, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can go to my websites. I've got multiple web websites. So they are my name, grisstander.rocks. Yeah. Or it's uh, for the uh, uh, community for IT women. It's itgirlsrock.global. And my business or my social enterprise, Steam Engine Global, is at steamengine.global. Excellent. So that is amazing. Yeah, so this has been such Thank an amazing Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really yeah, it's been it. a pleasure. Great. Okay, so thank you again, and I hope you have an amazing day. All right, you too. See ya. Wonderful. I've loved speaking with Gree about her journey and industry experiences, and the factors involved in cultivating diversity and inclusion in the tech space in all roles. To learn more about Gree and what we discuss in the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steam Powered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Gree on LinkedIn and her websites, the links for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.